Welcome to Public Domain Video Theater presented by the great detectives of old time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Today we're bringing you a movie. This one is called He Walked By Night. The original release date is November the 24th, 1948. Let's go ahead and watch it. Los Angeles, Our Lady the Queen of the Angels, as the Spaniards named her, the fastest growing city in the nation. It's been called a bunch of suburbs in search of a city, and it's been called the glamour capital of the world. A mecca for tourists, a stopover for transients, a target for gangsters, a haven for those fleeing from winter, a home for the hardworking. It is a city holding the hopes and dreams of over two million people. It sprawls out horizontally over 452 square miles of valleys and uplands, of foothills and beaches. Because of that vast area, and because of a population made up of people from every state in the Union, Los Angeles is the largest police beat in the country, and one of the toughest. We're going to take you into the city hall where police headquarters are located. Here in communications are the ears and voice of the police. The lights on the complaint board flash 24 hours a day. Citizens reporting a prowler, a lost child, a man molesting a woman, an auto accident, a wild party. Spend an hour or two here and you will think the whole city has gone berserk. Minute by minute, the orders go out to the radio cars in the far-flung divisions. Watts and Wilshire and West Los Angeles. Hollywood and Hollenbeck Heights in North Hollywood. The work of the police, like that of woman, is never done. This is the case history of a killer, taken from the files of the detective division. The facts are told here as they happen. The story properly starts here in Hollywood Division headquarters at one o'clock of a June morning last year. Officer Robert Rollins had finished his tour of duty and signed out. It had been a tough day. He'd be glad to get home. His wife would be waiting up for him as she always did.
Hey, fella. Come here. What were you doing back at that radio shop? Miss Logan. I was on my way home. Live around here? Yeah, a couple blocks down. Let me see some identification. Sure. <sighs> yeah, I guess I forgot my wallet. Look, lad. I've got to see some identification. How about my army discharge? I got it right here. <laughs> I want to report the shooting of a policeman. Hold on, please. Give me that again, please. I'm calling to report the shooting of a policeman. What's the address? 5057 State Street, just west of Santa Monica. Just a minute. Receiving hospital, operator 2. Operator 27, 5057 State Street, 5057 State Street. An officer has been shot. Send an ambulance. All units, all units in the vicinity of State Street, Santa Monica Boulevard. Proceed at once to 5057 State Street, 5057 State Street. An officer shot, code three. Control 1 to 80K. Go ahead. This is Breen. Instruct homicide to throw out a dragnet and pick up all suspicious characters in the area of the shooting. Also notify Sergeants Marty Brennan and Chuck Jones to report to me at the scene of the crime. Control 1 to 80K. Roger. I see. Well, what have you got so far? Well, not much, Captain Green. A couple of cartridge cases. Oh, Murray, Chuck. Hi, Captain. Eyewitnesses? Who was first on the scene reported it? I was. Uh, I live here. Uh, I'm a light sleeper, but my hearing is good. My Did the officer say anything before he collapsed? Yeah, he gave oh, a description yes. of the fellow. On he the was... shooting of the officer. Suspect is a white male American. Age 26 or 7. 5 feet 10 or 11. 155 to 165 pounds. Brown hair. Regular features. Pencil mustache. Repeat broadcast. All you... Is that about it? Yes, sir, exactly. And the officer kept saying, he looked like such a nice kid. He looked like such a nice kid. As if he couldn't believe what had happened to him. I see. Is that all? Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, anything else I can do, I'd be glad to help you. We may call you. Get his name and address, will you, Bob? This door been checked, Lee? Yeah, it's okay, Captain. Find anything? Nothing but some smudges so far. Found this in the glove compartment. I think it's nitroglycerin. 
Doesn't look quite right. Well, check it down at the lab. Right. Hmm. Open this up, Joe. No key, Captain. I'll try it open. Give me that bar, Frank. Arsenal. Yeah, get a load of that. What is it? I don't know. It looks like some kind of an electrical device. United States Navy. Either stolen or war surplus. Send all the stuff down to the lab and check the serial number on that Navy equipment. Yes, sir. Captain Bree. We found these in the weeds over by the radio store. Mm. What do you got? A pair of cloth gloves, Captain. Well, he thought of everything, didn't he? All right, give them to one of the technicians. Yes, sir. Marty, you and Chuck come along with me. Let's go downtown and see what they picked up in the dragnet. Right. You know him, Marty? Yeah. I know his wife, too. Ever since high school. Captain, I wish you'd let Chuck and me handle this case. All right. I don't want any dead heroes. Just want the man who shot Rawlins. The suspects began to arrive at headquarters in droves. The police tossed every motel and hotel and many private homes in a four-square-mile area around the scene of the shooting. Every available radio car and patrolman and detective was out on the dragnet. The strings were being drawn tighter and tighter. Many a man returning from a date or a late party or a poker game surprisingly found himself in a squad car, its sirens screaming as it brought him to the detective bureau. The dragnet gathered in some strange fish and many ordinary ones. All the rest of that night, the detectives probed, needled, questioned, quizzed. Everything was checked. Fingerprints, names, addresses, stories. Every fish in the net was examined. Most of them thrown back into the sea, not worth keeping. Except a few parole violators and slightly shady characters whose stories needed a lot of verifying. I wasn't crawling no cards. Just taking a walk. You know, getting in condition. You were running when the radio car picked you up. Yeah? Maybe that's why the guys called me punchy. You got a point there. Two felony convictions, no warrant, no warrant. He's on parole. Book him, violation of parole. Let's have the next one, Joe. What were you doing in that vacant lot? The vacant lot. Lot? What were you doing in it at that time of night? You say your name is Ralph Henderson. So what? Well, you know, it's a funny thing, Ralph. There's a guy around this town that's been wearing your fingerprints. Only his name is Pete Hannon. Okay. So I'm dead. So what's one more confession in my life? Now you're talking, him. Okay, Andy. Oh, Harry. Right. What have we got here? Oh, some robbery suspects. Candidates for San Quentin. Handsome here is the big shot. 
He runs the outfit. Have a gander at his record. Car theft, escape from reform school, robbery, assault with a deadly weapon. Not bad. Look at the heater we found on him. German Luger, fully loaded. Redhead here tried to carve up one of the arresting officers with this pretty toy. Nice boys. By dawn, many minor wrongdoings had been uncovered, and a few incipient felonies. The checking of the suspects had been thorough, painstaking, and tedious. But all the work was for nothing. The man who had shot Officer Rollins was not among them. He remained no more than a description. A shadow of a man. Mysterious, elusive, deadly. Hidden away somewhere in the vast city. As for Rollins himself, he couldn't help. He was in a coma at receiving hospital. Mrs. Rollins waited out the long, tense hours while her husband fought to live. Many another officer's wife had so waited. Many another will. The word came shortly after sunup. White male American, 26 or 7, 5 feet 10 or 11, 155 to 165 pounds, brown hair, regular features, pencil mustache. This was no frightened fugitive. What went on in his mind? Why had he set his hand against his fellow men, taken the life of another, of a stranger, of a man who was merely doing his duty? He must have some plan. Some goal that called for sudden death to anyone who got in his way. This was safe cracker soup. You gonna drink it, I hope? I'm really a nice guy. Stick around. I'll prove it. Come over here. Hold this for me, will you, Chuck? Thank you. Now, if you'll hand me that hammer, Marty. Thank you. Yeah? Nitroglycerin. I didn't ask for a collection of fingers, just fingerprints. 
All those nice fingerprints on the car belong to the man it was stolen from, Cap. Nothing on the guns, the pick locks. Not even an interesting smirk. The gloves. Common type, worn by undertakers. I'll check on them. They won't show anything. What did your scientific test show? A couple of little things. Tool identification on these pick locks. I got one under the scope. You want to take a look? Yeah. Take a look. Let's see. Well, it seems to tie the tool up with the lock. Now, if that microscope could only tell us who did it. I'm working on that. No, only an amateur would carry that liquid dynamite in the car. This boy's no amateur. Took the precaution of desensitizing it so it'll take normal shock. Took a lot of other precautions, too. No fingerprints, no identification, nothing definite. Except to scientific... Knows electricity. Is inventive. Yeah. I'm happy on the trigger. This is Captain Breen. Get me Captain Stevens a burglary, will you? I hate to disappoint you, Lee, but I think you've come up with something. Uh, hello, Steve. How are you? Did your daughter's marriage come off all right? Good. Look, Steve, on those burglaries of electrical equipment lately, were there any where pick locks were used to gain entry? Good. Well, let me know if there's another report of one, will you? I've got an idea the Rawlins killer may be tied in with those. Fine. Uh, and uh, give my regards to the newlyweds, too. So long, Steve. Well... What are you waiting for? You've got a job, haven't you? Get going. Yeah, let's go, Junior. Hold this for me, will you, Lee? Thanks. And so, with no fingerprints and only a vague description to go by, Sergeant Brennan turned to the modus operandi file. A criminal, like any human being, has his own habit patterns, unconscious traits that can lead to his downfall. They are, Junior. List of burglars who use pick locks for entry. Oh, great. This narrows it down to just a couple of hundred suspects in this area. Give me a match, will you? That may not be so bad. This guy's improved on the system. Maybe he's left his trademark on some other job. Well, here we go, legging it all over town, asking a million questions. What you paid for, isn't it? Am I paid to associate with you, too, Junior? You could do worse. Not this year. Come on. Car 12, car 1-2, in the 10,000 block on Mississippi, a 394-15 disturbance. Car 80-K, code 1.
All units. On the broadcast of the suspect arrested in the shooting of Patrolman Rollins. Cancel the cancellation. Suspect released from custody. Oh, hello, Mr. Martin. You find Mr. Reed in the machine shop. drop in. I wanted to thank you for showing us how to handle that repair job. Help us a lot. Well, what have we got this time? Silvergraph. There are plenty of these around, Roy. Not like this one. Yes, I see. I suppose as usual, you've added your own improvements. You know, it seems wrong that a man of your talent should bother consigning equipment for rental. I'd like to see you devote yourself entirely to experimental electronics. It'll come one day. I'll have a place like this. Well, why wait? I've got a pretty good setup here. Have modern equipment to work with, a lab, and my confidence. Thanks, Mr. Reeves. I have other plans. But, Roy, you can't tell where it'll lead. Might even work your way around to a percentage of the business. I like it this way. You just run out my equipment. All right, Roy. All right. But if you should change your mind. I'm not likely to change my mind. I suppose you want me to set this up for rental, too. Mr. Reeves, you've already got five pieces of my equipment. You'd like to know what results I've had from the rental so far, hmm? Well, I can't say as I blame you. I think you'll find this satisfactory. Satisfactory. Goodbye, Mr. Reeves. And you'll come back again soon, won't you? Sure. Oh, incidentally... Oh, that television projector coming along, the one you said would reflect a 12-foot image. Still working on it. I just wanted you to know I've already set up a rental on it. In fact, I think they'd like to buy. It'll come pretty high. Oh, money's no consideration with this customer. Tell them they can pick it up tomorrow. I thought you said it wasn't finished yet. It'll be finished. Uses an image fixer and then projects by ordinary incandescence. Roy, this is the best television projector I've ever seen. Let's hope that your customer thinks so. He will. Yeah? Send him right in, Charlotte. There, you see, our customer is here, begging for the privilege of buying. Better be running along. I'm not much good at business. Oh, but Roy, he'll want to congratulate you. 
Just see that the price is right. <laughs> All right, Roy. I'll get you a good deal. So long. See you. Well, Mr. Dunning, come in. Isn't it a beauty? It's a beauty, all right. You like it? I certainly do like it. You see, it's mine. What do you mean? Let me have the police. I built it. Spent years on it. Oh, you must be crazy. Roy built this machine himself. Your friend's a crook, Paul. You've been taken in. Hello. Give me the burglary detail. Dear Jim, regarding your inquiry on a 38 caliber Smith and Wesson Barbara Oh, come in, boys. Burglary detail just sent this report through. It's a man named Dunning reports tracing a stolen television projector to the Reeves Electronics Lab. Think it's a tie with the Rawlins case? Well, take a look at this fellow Reeves and see what gives. I'll notify burglary we're following up on it. Right. Come on, Junior. What else did he place with you for rental? Oh, a number of things. Uh, all war surplus that he bought on his veteran's rating. Oh, is this more of his equipment? Yes. Yes, he left it here on consignment. I'm sure that Roy can explain everything. Well, maybe he can, Mr. Reeves, if you'll tell us where he lives. But I don't know. Mr. Martin's on the phone, sir. I'd better talk to him. I think so, Mr. Reeves. I'll take it in the superintendent's office. that you sold the set. And his money's waiting for him here. Find out what time he's coming by. Put Mr. Martin on. Hello, Roy? Yes, yes, I've sold it. Your money is waiting here for you. Yes, I'll be working late tonight. What time will you be by? First thing in the morning. Well, maybe you better come in tonight, Roy. A couple of things I want cleared up. Like what? Oh, technical things. Besides, I don't like to leave the money in the plant overnight. How about 8.30? Fine, fine. I'll see you then. I'll leave the front door unlocked. You'll be here at 8.30. Well, I'll just run along home and get some dinner. Uh, we'd like you to stay, too, Mr. Reeves. Why? For company. You want to cooperate, don't you, Mr. Reeves? Certainly. Good. Now, you just wait in your office. We'll be around. Very well. This way, gentlemen.
praise. That you, Roy? Lock that alley door. Where are you, Roy? Who's in here? No one. I'm alone. Come on in. I've got your money for it. Bring it out here. All right. Just a minute.
No, none of them even looks like Roy Martin. He had such a fine face. Didn't keep him from carrying a gun. Or didn't you know that? No, I didn't. I told you all I know, all he ever told me. What about his friends? Didn't he have a girl? No, no, I don't think so. He had no interest in anything but electronics. Where did he pick up the subject? Books, magazines, mostly from the Signal Corps. He was attached to a radar unit. Get a teletype off of the War Department. That might help. Yes? Ready on your call for receiving hospital, Captain Breen. Hello, uh, this is Captain Breen. What is the latest report on Sergeant Jones? I see. Well, let me know if there's any change, will you? Thanks. Chuck's in pretty bad shape, Marty. He's paralyzed. May never walk again. Oh, I'm sorry. It's funny that Martin showed up at 7 when he told you he wouldn't be there at 8.30. I don't know why. Except he was always unpredictable. I'll tell you why. Because you warned him. That's why he came early. That's why he came in the back way. But you heard me tell him the front door would be open. And the key to let him in the back way? He must have had one made. Why don't you tell us the truth? Marty. Now look, Paul. You can make it a lot easier for us to believe your story if you'll just give us some facts. Something that might help us. I told you all I know. I've been gullible, all right, letting him make a fool of me. But I'd do anything to make up for what he did to Detective Jones. Sure. Sure you would. You can go now. Oh, thanks. Thanks. My friend, thank you. Ouch, my character. That's good. We'll call you for you. Thank you very much. I think he's telling the truth, Marty. I think he's just gullible, like he said. What about the stolen stuff he was trying to peddle for Martin? We'll use it for bait. Maybe Martin will come back for it. Then we can ask him. Here. Nevertheless, I want a 24-hour tail put on Reeves, and I want to watch on his home in his factory. Right. You can keep those. Okay, Captain. And now the killer changed his tactics, his modus operandi. It would baffle the police. They always expected burglars to remain burglars, not go in for stick-ups. They'd never tie this up with him. So wearing a variety of disguises, coming and going like a shadow, ready to kill a cornered, he struck the bottle stores in a one-man blitz that had the robbery detail dizzy. 
killer, always resourceful, always thinking along lines that would baffle his hunters, had discovered an ideal avenue of escape. Under Los Angeles is a vast and intricate system of huge storm drains built to siphon off the flash floods of the rainy season. Many of the tunnels are large enough for two cars to drive abreast. Here were 700 miles of hidden highways, ideal for the use of someone who needed to hurry from place to place without being seen. Ideal as a hiding place for guns and supplies in case of emergency. Well, the reason I ask you to come over is I think I've hit on something. An identification? No, not quite, but a tie-up. Now, these are the shells from the gun that killed Rollins. These were fired in the liquor store holder in which the bandit got away. And these were fired at Chuck. Now, as you know, every ejector, even in guns of the same model and caliber, is different. Each one leaves its own markings on the cartridge casing. Now, look at these fine strays. This deep gouge. The same on all three. Hmm... In other words, the man who killed Rawlins and the man who shot at Jones and Brennan, the stick-up who's blitzing the liquor stores, are all the same man. Right. All we need to know is what that man looks like. Get me Chandler and robbery, will you? I've got an idea about that. Also, it'll give us a chance to see if Reeves is on the level with us. Uh, Steve. Reeves. About those blitz holdups you're on. Round up all the victims and have them down here tonight, will you? Oh, it's just a little scheme. Thanks, Steve. Hmm, that's good. Now sketch another one of the same type, only this time thin it out a little, huh? All right. Hi, Lee. How's it coming? You ready for tonight? We'll be ready. Think it'll work? Should. Where'd you get the idea? From a kidnapping case in Chicago. I thought these slides might be an improvement over the method they used. Could be. Captain thinks so. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I'll have your attention for a moment, please. You've all been asked to sit in on a little experiment tonight. We're going to try to build a picture of a face. The face of a man who's cunning, resourceful, and deadly. He's a man who killed a police officer. Now, some of you he held up at the point of a gun. You may have seen his face, remembered something about it. And we want you to tell us exactly what you remember. Whether it's his hair, eyes, nose, or mouth. And we're going to try to put those pieces together so that they add up into a picture of the face of the man we want. Now, you can see how we're depending on you. Right? Now, first, we're going to concentrate on the type of hair our man had. And if the picture looks anything like his hair, I want you to speak right up. All right, the first slide, please. His hair had waves in it, well-groomed. That's the idea, Miss Smith. Is that any closer? Mm, no, it, it was parted on the side. Oh, that's more like it, except it was thicker.
Oh, that's very close. Yes, that's the way his forehead looked. It was broad and high. All right, hold that slide. Now, the next series of slides will take into account his eyes. Oh, one minute, please. Wait, one minute. His eyes were a little like that. Maybe a little smaller. Like these. Go on, please. Now, now you've got it. Now hold that slide, Lee. Anyone else? That looks like him, only a little madder. He had a patch over one eye when he came into my dive, uh, my place of business. I remember noticing that the one showing was blue. Well, the guy that stuck me up had on horn rim glasses. He was wearing a band-aid across his nose when he knocked me over. Uh-huh. All right, hold that, Lee. Well, so much for the eyes. Go ahead. Señor Capitan. Yes, Miss Montavo. I. ¿Cómo se dice en inglés? Uh... A sus órdenes, señorita. Ah, qué bien. En este bandido, la nariz fue chata, como aquella, pero un poco más chata y más ancha. Like that, Captain, but uh, more snub, wider. Try another one, Lee. Como aquella, casi la misma. She says that's about it. Thank you very much, Miss Montavo. It reads. Uh, any more comments? That's pretty close, all right. Pretty close. Perfect. All right. Now we'll start on the mouth and chin. The next series, Lee. I think his lower lip stuck out more. The mouth was thin and mean, like it never laughed. Go ahead. Something like that, but thicker lips. There. That's it. That's him. All right. Now hold that right there, Lee. Oh, come in, Mr. Reeves. Good evening, Captain. Did you ever see that face before? Why, it's Roy. Except for the hair being a little lighter and the eyebrows heavier. It's Roy. You're sure? I'm positive I'd know him anywhere. I want to retouch the photograph. I'll lighten the hair and give more body to the eyebrows. Right. Lights. That's all. Thank you very much. You've been a great help. It's positively amazing how you found out what he looks like. Well, we're looking for an amazing criminal, Mrs. Johnson. Thank you and good night. Good night, Captain. And so the face of the unknown killer, built up from fragments of evidence, was sent out all over the country to chiefs of police, to sheriffs, to county constables and county jailers, to the wardens of prisons, to all postmasters and postal inspectors, to the agents of the Treasury Department, to the FBI. They showed that picture to the inmates of jails and prisons, to men with a wide acquaintance among the cat burglars and the violence boys. Informers and con men and sharpshooters were quizzed those on the fringe of crime and those deep in the rackets. 
Many wanted to help. Nobody could. No one in the underworld recognized that mysterious face. He was as unknown as if he had lived in the 16th century. Staked out like a muskrat hide, watching you around the clock. Here at your plant, hailing your car. Sit in that chair. Pick up three books. Don't look up and don't answer me. Much, Roy. 
No fingerprints. They haven't even got a picture of you. They're trying to make one. How much cash you got in the house? None. I never keep any cash in the house. It isn't good business. Suppose you think it was good business. Let me walk into that trap. No, no. Don't do anything you'll regret. Now listen to me. It isn't too late. Give yourself up. Come to your senses before you kill someone else. What do you mean, someone else? What do you mean? Nothing, Jack. The two officers, they said one of them might die. He's still alive, isn't he? Reeves? Yeah, that's not your stooge for the police. You almost got me killed. Croy, you know the police are right outside. You'd never get away with it. That's right. Now you make sense. I know this money here. Where is it? Don't worry. I'll get it. I don't want policemen outside my house following me around. That's what made Roy suspicious. I'm leaving in the morning. I'm afraid I'll have to disappoint you, Paul. Unfortunately, you're our bait. I won't do it. I've done enough. Look, no one's done enough until we find this killer. I asked you to keep a sharp lookout on this house, Marty. I did. Two of the best undercover men in the department were assigned here. I didn't keep Martin from getting in. The man is tired. You got any idea how long you've been on this case, Marty? A month. Long enough to have come up with something by this time. You know any more about the Rawlins killer than you knew the first week? Yeah. He's about the toughest nut I've ever had to crack. That's what I told the chief when he called me in this afternoon and wanted to know why the case hadn't been broken. Look, Captain. Rollins was a friend of mine. So's Chuck. I've got a bigger stake in this than the chief knows. I'm doing everything I can. I'm afraid it's not enough, Marty. Maybe you're too close to it to see it clearly. Maybe it needs a fresh team, a new viewpoint. I think you better take a couple of weeks off, Marty. Starting tomorrow. Anything you say, Captain?
Hiya, Marty. Hi, Chuck. Speaking of Scanlon, my new bodyguard. He's the one I've been telling you about. Oh, you mean the one with the steel trap brain? How do you do? Hello. Has this guy been behaving? After a fashion. See, she takes me off my go-kart, puts me to bed, wakes me up, dresses me. You're perfectly capable of dressing yourself now, Mr. Jones. I'll be back in a few minutes. Well, how's it been going, Junior? Oh, pretty good, Chuck, pretty good. Is that why you're off the case? How'd you know? Green was in to see me this morning. Oh. Suppose he also told you they put a new team on the case. He told me everything. Let's see what his new boys dig up. Well, maybe they'll examine the facts of the case a little more carefully. What facts? That a man's sharp, that he's intelligent and works alone, that he has no record, never leaves a fingerprint and knows every move we make? Sure, plenty of facts, only they add up to nothing. Sure, forget it. You got yourself a ten-day vacation. Go on down to the beach, get a suntan. By the time you get back, the case will be broken. Isn't that what you want? You know better than that. All I know is what I hear. You sit there batting your gums about how the old man let you down. Maybe he's trying to wake you up. He's got a funny way of showing it. There you go, flying off the handle. Always taking things for granted. I wish I could get up and boot some sense into you. He knew what this case meant to me. He still does. That's why he's trying to get you mad enough to do something about it. You don't really figure that's his idea, do you? I know it is. Ah, it's a tough case, Chuck. Not an angle, nothing to go on. You'd know what I meant if you were out working with me. I have been working with you. That's all I've had to do lately, just sit around studying what little facts we have. Trying to figure out who he might be. You know the kind of a guy we're up against, then. I tell you, Chuck, this guy's a genius the way he operates. As if he were right there with us every time he go out after a lead. Oh, sure. Breen's been tipping him off just to make you look bad. Yeah, almost like that. Well, he beats us to the punch every time. Is your angle. You just hit it on the head, but you don't see it. Look, start at it. One, he's unknown to the underworld. Two, he beats you to the punch, right? And three, it's almost as if he were with you. Isn't that what you said? Yes. Well, tie that up with a lot of other little things, like the fact that he uses a police gun and the accuracy of the shooting. Anybody could buy a police gun, and the army could have taught him how to shoot. Yeah, but who taught him how the police operate? Oh, I know what you're driving at, Chuck, but a cop. Those things happen. Yeah. Now, if I were still in the case, I'd start with our own department first, then Santa Monica, Culver City, Burbank, Pasadena. See you later, Junior. Hey! Don't let him out of your sight, beautiful. It's the first time in years he's used his head. Get a print of every mug we take. We always send L.A. a copy, Sergeant. It's personnel photos I want. You mean of our boys? That's Rollins' killer, isn't it? That's right. You've checked your own department. We did that first. And so the tedious quest went on. Sergeant Brennan wore out his shoes and his patience, going from police station to police station checking photos until his eyes were blurry. For police work is not all glamour and excitement and glory. There are days and days of routine, of tedious probing, of tireless searching, fruitless days, days when nothing goes right, when it seems as if no one could ever think his way through the maze of baffling trails and criminal leads. But the answer to that is persistence and the hope that sooner or later something will turn up 
some tiny lead that can grow into a warm trail and point to the cracking of a tough case. Well, that does it, boys. Yeah, say, I'm sorry you didn't find him in here. I'd hate to think it was a cop. Doesn't seem to be anybody. It's a lot of pieces of a face that never existed. Would you mind if I see that again? Sure, Raymond. Put it on your dresser. Wait a minute. He wasn't a cop. He was a radio technician right here in our dispatch office. What did you say? I'm saying he worked here in 42. Well, come on, give. I remember the kid well. He's sort of strange, never bothered with anyone in the department, just kept to himself. He was in line for promotion when he was drafted. Where was he living at the time? I don't remember. Try the dead files. He never asked for his job back after the war. I remember writing to him about it, though. He was an excellent worker. Oh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, this is it. Took a while before he answered, but like he says in the letter, he wasn't interested. Postmarked Hollywood. No return address. What do you want us to do? All the work? Oh, thanks a lot, Freddie. Remember, he was a civilian employee. Well, how about it? Anybody recognize it? Not on my route. I never saw him before. Uh, okay, fellas, thanks very much. I thought for a minute. Yeah. Yet that face. I wonder. Yeah? Well, this may not mean anything, but he looks like a guy that's on my route. He never gets any mail, but I see him around here all the time. He lives in one of the courts. Where? I'm not sure. It's not that easy. What time does your route take you past those courts? About nine o'clock. What? Just think. Chocolate milk? Sure have, buddy. Yeah. Thanks. With your partner. Straight on back. Second in the yell. Number seven. Right. Had a warm today, huh? Oh, it's not too bad for this time of the year. Maybe I might be poisoned. What? Yeah. By the manager. She's a witch. 
She's a what? A witch. She put poison in my milk. Oh, I see. Look. Switch the bottles once she isn't looking. Drink our milk. And you'll be safe, right? Had a little accident. Got a mop, I'll clean it up. Leave it be, I'll clean it up myself. This is called Bellevue Court. I drew this from memory, but it's pretty close. That's where he's hiding out, right there. You sure he's our man, Marty? Captain, I couldn't go wrong on that face. He's our man. Now, there are five cottages in this area. And two, there's six and seven in the L at the end of the row. Our man lives in number seven. The building department plan will show you the whole layout. Bounded on three sides by Fuller, Santa Monica, and Poinsettia. Now, the court is partly surrounded by a high wall. Breen, homicide. Good, you keep your eyes open until we get there. Morgan has just gone into his bungalow alone. Any questions? All right, you all have the instructions. Let's go. Time. Wait five minutes. Go around and block the side entrance. 
your lights off.
units, all units in the vicinity of Santa Monica and Fuller, the murder suspects and the Rawlins killings at large. Covering the storm drain system in this area. Get it? Meet me at Venice and Garfield. Jones Miller, you stay here in case he comes up for air. I want a man at every other drain entrance along this line. Gotta come up somewhere. Come on, Marty. You're driving. covered. Liable to pop out anywhere. Why Venice and Garfield, Captain? It's the main intersection of the system. We can head him off that way. Indicator control one. Clear frequency seven. This is an emergency. Control one to all cars on frequency seven. Stand by. Control one to 80K. Go ahead. Notify homicide. Send the following to Venice and Garfield. Four squads, battle lanterns, gas mask, tear gas. Urgent. This is a code three. Control one to 80K. Roger. down this main drain to where it comes out of the Rio Hondo. Now, you take your squad and cover that exit. Right. Keep all spare radio cars cruising back and forth along this main street. Watch the curb inlet. We'll go in here. Any sign of them? No. We've searched every foot between here and the Rio Hondo outlet. And he must be up ahead.
Welcome back. It's not a coincidence that we are releasing this episode of Public Domain Video Theater just ahead of us beginning to replay the Dragnet radio program on the uh, Great Detectives of Old Time Radio podcast. Because there are so many things in this movie that are reminiscent of Dragnet for those of us who are big fans of the series. The... The names have been changed, Disclosure. And then you have the opening narration and style as the narrator goes on in talking about Los Angeles and leading into the actual crime. And there are so many stylistic beats in terms of performances being more grounded and both the police and witnesses being far more naturalistic than you would see in your typical Hollywood crime film of the time. Even the scene where Marty Brennan is undercover and has a woman come up to him to report a problem that she didn't think the police could handle, but thinks that a substitute milkman can help her with the fact that her landlady is practicing witchcraft. It's something you would see in an episode of Dragnet, but rarely anywhere else. It's one of those things that it feels authentic because strange, random things happened uh, in the course of a police officer doing their duty. That's police work. And to top it all off in terms of things that are very similar to Dragnet, one of the police cars has a call sign of 80K, which is awfully similar to Joe Friday's call sign of 1K80. Of course, the fact that Webb worked on the movie explains how many of these ideas would make their way over to Dragnet, but also the fact that Dragnet had the same technical advisor as this film. Sergeant Marty Wynn, who actually took part in the events that inspired the film, Wynn famously met Jack Webb on the set of this movie, and on finding out that he played one of those radio private eyes, unloaded on him about what he thought of those radio detective programs and how they portrayed the police as saps, and offered Webb access to official police files to create a series that showed how police actually investigated cases. We'll talk more about this when we actually get into the Dragnet radio program. I don't want to step too much on that, and I'll also don't want to make this entirely about Dragnet, although we'll also come back to some of the ways that this film was different from Dragnet later on. This deserves to be discussed in its own right. It is a tremendous groundbreaking movie. It's a jewel of the noir genre, and I found it absolutely riveting. The film's use of technical details was great. I absolutely love the scene with the composite pictures and how they worked through that process in the late 1940s. Now, obviously, today and for many decades, police have been able to do this sort of work with computers. But seeing this kind of step-by-step, -step, using a slide 
projector and different identifying characteristics was just fascinating to watch. And there are also some really solid discussions of forensics and criminalistics, and it's kept on a really engaging level that never gets too far into the weeds for the casual audience. It's also beautifully shot. It's really atmospheric, and I think Reed Hadley is just perfect as the narrator of this sort of film. He's got this great voice of authority, and this would be kind of a prelude to his role on the TV program Racket Squad, which would involve a lot of narrating and explaining events to the audience. I think it's fair to say, as Variety did at the time that it was released, that most of the acting in this film is competent. When you look at the actors who play the police officers and witnesses, you see a lot of character actors who racked up a lot of credits and had decades-long careers. So they all knew their business, but none of them were standout performers. But I also think that that kind of works in the film's favor in terms of feeling realistic as a police movie because you don't have to get past the idea that you're watching some big movie star. You're watching someone who easily you can believe is just this ordinary policeman doing a job. There was only one part of the movie that I thought was a bit lacking, and that was the part where Captain Breen pulled Marty off of the case in order to get him mad so he would come up with some genius idea. This seems really out of place in what's otherwise such a grounded film. It's not a huge deal, but it, it does stick out as a really odd departure from the tenor of the movie that, thankfully, they move quickly past. Now, I mentioned some of the similarities that this had with Dragnet, but there are a couple of key differences. The first point is that Dragnet begins with the narration that you'll follow the case on the side of the law from crime to punishment. In your typical Dragnet episode, the police arrive on the scene and you have no idea who did it. In He Walked By Night, we follow Richard Baselhart's character Roy throughout the movie. In fact, on the film posters, Basil Hart was given equal billing with Scott Brady, who played Marty. And the truth is that Basil Hart is absolutely riveting. Every time he's on screen, you can't turn away. He's always doing something interesting. He absolutely stands out from the rest of the cast, which kind of oddly makes the villain the really interesting character. While you have less connection to the actual police officers who are investigating the case, due to their much more low-key portrayal. I will also say that the story of He Walked By Night departs greatly from the actual facts, particularly when it came to the capture. Now, Dragnet, despite claiming that 
only the names were changed and take some bigger departures, but I don't think quite as big as what happens with the ending of He Walked By Night. He Walked By Night was based on the hunt for Machine Gun Walker, whose background was very similar to Roy's in the film. However, the capture was entirely Hollywood. What actually happened was that three detectives, including Marty Wynn, located where Walker was hiding out and got a key from the man who owned the apartment and used it to enter the apartment. Walker had a submachine gun and a 45, and the officers had to strike him with the butts of their revolvers and shoot him twice before he stopped trying to go for the guns. According to Marty's son, Charles, when they were putting Walker into the car, Walker asked Marty Wynn if he had any children. Wynn told him he had two boys, and Walker said, You're lucky because you came close to not seeing your kids again. Now that would make a perfectly fine episode of Dragnet, but it wouldn't do as an ending to a 1948 film. So we get this chase through the sewers. It's worth noting that Dragnet would come to the silver screen in 1954. And without giving anything away, it ends on a somewhat unsatisfying and anticlimactic note that's nevertheless realistic because that's police work. However, I think this film has a better reputation than the Dragnet movie and is more fondly remembered for its great uh, chase through the sewer, for its climactic scene where the, the genius killer is trapped due to dumb luck and ultimately meets his end because that's filmmaking. And it should be noted that the real Machine Gun Walker, after many court proceedings and decades in prison and mental hospitals, was paroled in the 1970s, changed his name, and went to work as a chemist, and died in 2008. And that will do it for today. Join us back here next time for another episode of Public Domain Video Theater. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And if you like these videos, you can become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.